Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome into the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Ross Martin, and we have a very special guest for this episode of the Inside Carolina podcast. We're joined by UNC women's basketball coach, Courtney Banghart. What's going on, Courtney? I'm so happy to be here. You know, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, we're, we're, it's awesome we can get you on. You know, it's a, a different time in our lives, and I've been very interested in your career and, and what you're building at UNC. So I thought I'd reach out and it worked out, and we have you on now. Yeah, it's it. We've got some, we do have time in this, in this new reality. We do have that. For sure. So how, how has it been for you the last couple of months kind of dealing with the corona stuff and, and recruiting and, and trying to kind of keep your program rolling through this weird time? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it, it's a true example of what that great uh, Charles Darwin quote that said that um, survival is actually those that can adapt, right? It's not survival of the fittest. It's adaptability that's important. And, you know, this being my first full spring at Carolina um, and not being able to show the essence and ethos of this place to recruits has forced us to really adapt. Um, and, and then on top of that, you're my first spring of, of player development that I haven't been able to have my team. Um, so there's a lot of things that are new for coaching that we've all had to adapt to. But we're safe. Our staff is back in the office as of now. So I, I almost feel crowded. They've been, I've been coming in every day to the office because mm-hmm. nobody's here. Um, so I'm social distancing by just working in my office and now everybody's here. So I feel a little crowded, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been a unique time. When do the players come back? July 6th is when okay. they'll, they'll do, they'll report and they'll get their COVID test um, and get going from there. What, uh, how is that process going to work? Do you know anything you can tell me about kind of yeah, I can. testing so, and stuff? Yeah, so football obviously has to phase in. We only have 12 players, so our phase-in is pretty simple. They'll, um, they'll arrive for their testing on July 6th, um, and then it takes about 24 to 48 hours. And so until all tests are, return, are returned back as negative, um, we will start with their conditioning and, and strength and, and stuff like that to prepare them until we can get on court with them on July 20th. Um, so as soon as they test negative, we'll, we'll try to quarantine them in their, in their, in their suites. Um, obviously I know they're close with the men's basketball team. Fortunately, they'll, they're on the same schedule. So as long as we're all negative, they can, they can coexist together really uh, and keep their, t- their, keep their circles pretty tight. Great. Yeah. So it's, it's an odd time for all of us, even us in the media kind of figuring out how we're going to cover it and stuff. So yeah, awesome. Well, before we get into it, you know, this is the inside Carolina podcast presented to you by giant t-shirt and giant t-shirt.com. Want to ask you to make sure you rate review and subscribe to this podcast helps us and helps us become. Uh, you know, up there on the rankings and stuff. So rate, review, subscribe, and then we're going to get right into it here with Coach Banghart. All right, so we're going to go back kind of to kind of your beginnings with, with athletics and then get into, you know, your college experience and your coaching experience and go from there and then okay. UNC, YUNC, and, and so forth and so forth, so forth and so on. So you played three sports in high school, right? Yeah, I did. Um, can you kind of go into tennis, basketball, and soccer? And it seems like you're a really good athlete in New Hampshire. What part of New Hampshire did you grow up in? I'm from Southern New Hampshire, right near the Manchester Airport, a town called okay. Amherst. I say gotcha. Amherst, and people think Amherst, Mass., which is infinitely cooler. Yeah. Um, you know, Amherst, New Hampshire's got one stoplight, uh, but I don't know what else we need. We got a stoplight, a gas station, a school, a church, and my house. I don't know what else you need. So a very small kind of New England very town. Small. Yeah, yeah, I actually yeah, spent, I spent two summers in New Hampshire in the White Mountains at a camp. Um, oh. So I love that area and like, Vermont. That's great. 
Yeah. All right. So you played uh, tennis, soccer, and basketball in yeah. high school. What was your favorite? You know, how was it playing those three sports? And what do you think you're really good at? And obviously that, that kind of led to your career in sports. Yeah. You know, I would say the sport that I was probably the least decorated was actually basketball. You know, um, my parents had, had said we had to have a lifetime sport growing up. So it was either tennis or golf, really. Uh, and so I picked tennis and I have to say that was kind of crazy because now nobody, I don't know anybody who plays tennis. So what kind of life sport is it? Cause I'm by myself and now I golf more. But, um, so I played tennis since I was very young. Um, actually that was, I became a tennis pro when I was about 14 at our local club. Um, so I was a state champion, um, in tennis in high school, um, and really had done that. I didn't love the independent aspect of the sport, yeah. you know, people would come with their like 12 tennis rackets and, and their private teachers. And I would come with my ratty tatty racket and, um, you know, so I was more an athlete playing tennis than I was an expert. Um, but my athleticism, I think helped. Um, and then soccer, everyone, and it's kind of like North Carolina, everybody plays soccer in New Hampshire. I mean, it's like, it's, it's basically your daycare. It's your, it's your worth, you know? Uh, so I played tennis on the under 12 team when I was nine and just kept going. Um, and so actually had, uh, became an all American in soccer. And so when I was choosing to get recruited, it was basically, should I go to Notre Dame or Boston college to play soccer or Dartmouth to play soccer? Um, and you know, I remember sitting down with my dad and I said, you know, what school do you think would be the best chance of going to a national, to go into a final four? And he said, uh, which at the time, Notre Dame actually won the national championship my sophomore year in college. So I would have been a national champion that way. But he said, you got it all wrong. It's what's, it's what school is going to give you the best chance to, um, to have a great future because sports are not a vocation, which ironically is all I've ever done now. But yeah. the, um, so I, the, the soccer coach at the time at Dartmouth was the, um, he was the head coach at Dartmouth was uh, is now the head coach at, at uh, Virginia on the women's side, but he called me and he said, Steve Swanson, he said, I'm taking the Stanford job. So you can either come with me to Stanford or you can stay on as Dartmouth recruit. And uh, what I did was I said, or actually I'll call the basketball coach. <laughs> so I called the basketball coach at, uh, at Dartmouth at the time and I'm from New Hampshire. So she had known about my New Hampshire state um, experience. Um, and the rest is honestly history. So if Steve Swanson had stayed at Dartmouth, I probably would have been a soccer player. So I feel really grateful <laughs> to Steve for leaving. Um, get, opened up the door for me to play basketball. So what was your basketball career like in high school? You know, I'm come from a small, very small state and a very small town. So, you know, I was, you know, the three-time player of the year. I mean, I, you know, I had a really decorated high school mm -hmm. season as well in basketball, or high school career in basketball. But remember, I was, it's a very small state. So let's be, let's be clear yeah. on that. Um, and so, um, but I was the kid that was, you know, I set the record in scoring, um, the state record in scoring for soccer. And I would come home in my shin guards and I would all of a sudden start shooting hoop. So I've always loved basketball. On Friday nights, I'd watch that great Celtics team play. Um, and so basketball always had my heart. I was just, you know, five, four and 110 pounds, right? And I just, um, and so I didn't grow really until senior year and into college. Um, so, you know, I was, a, I was a good high school, I was a good high school basketball player. I was recruited to like some smaller schools, UNH and Army and stuff like that, but uh, really played my way up in college. How tall are you now? It depends on who you ask. If, if you want to, you're asking me, I'm five, I'm five, eight. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so you, if you don't go get a physical, you'll never know really how tall you are. I go yeah. by five. So you develop kind of guard skills. I imagine in high school as a basketball player. Oh yeah. And, and then you sure. had the, you know, pretty good height, I guess, for a, for a, a wing. No, not really. I was a small point guard in college. I shot too much okay. to be considered a point guard. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm still pretty undersized at the airport. I'm, I'm tall. I tell my team, my current team, but I have to wear like three inch heels on the sideline to be relevant now. So gotcha. I'm considered quite small and I'm on slight build. So. 
Okay. Uh, awesome. So you go to Dartmouth uh, yeah. right there in uh, Hanover. Northern New Hampshire. Yeah, Hanover. Yeah. Good. yeah, I've been there. I've been in that river there. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I've been floating down that a few times as well. I have, I have too. Yeah, we took our days off there. Um, okay, so you're at, you're at Dartmouth, and I've been there. I mean, it's a small school. It's Ivy League. It's probably one of the smaller Ivy League schools. The smallest, what, was that, yeah. what was that experience like? Uh, awesome. Playing for the Big Green, is that right? The Big Green. Look at you. You got all these facts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was great. You know, I'm. For, uh, you know, for me, it was, um, you know, you get people from all over the country and all over the world. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, I had to really play up. And I've sort of, that's how I've lived my life. You know, I want to always play up, you know, I played up in age groups athletically. I played up academically. And so here I arrive uh, to, to Dartmouth, which is an Ivy league school, one of the very best schools in the country. And I've got to play up academically. Um, fortunately, I, um, athletically, I sort of always can find my way. So I, I, um, you know, became a, a meaningful contributor right away um, and had a great career there athletically. But academically, I really had to work. Uh, and that I think that work ethic is something that has, has been a key part of my success moving forward. So a great place. Some of my most dear friends are from there. Um, and they're all killing it. Like, I was almost embarrassed to be like, I'm going to get into coaching. Is that cool? Um, but now I think we're all we've all found our way. Yeah, it's a neuroscience major, correct? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, why uh, not, right? Yeah, yeah. Three-time starter, Dartmouth, two-time first-team All-Ivy, and you have the Ivy League record with 273 three-pointers, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so you, you graduate Dartmouth, great basketball career, and you head to Episcopal High School. You coach there, um, yeah. head coach basketball, women's AD, and tennis. Uh, and I think that's where you, if I read correctly, that you kind of gained an interest in, in teaching and coaching and, and developing um, young people. Is that is Yeah, that I mean, I think, yeah, I think, Ross, when you come to the Ivy League, everybody's doing, at least at that time, I'm old now, so it was 20 years ago or more, but um, everyone's either in finance, medicine, law, you know, there's, so you have this thing called corporate recruiting in the fall of your senior year, and they were, everyone was putting on their suits and studying companies, and I just knew I didn't want to do that. Like I knew, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but that was definitely not what I was going to do. Um, now, of course, you'd question you know, why go to the Ivy League if you're going to get into coaching. So I didn't necessarily, I kind of fought the coaching thing, right? Because that was an expensive way to go into coaching. As I say, I'm the most expensively educated coach in the country now. But uh, so the athletic director at, at Episcopal High School called our, our basketball coach because his, his dad was the AD at Dartmouth and basically said, we're looking for a basketball coach. And I told him I'm not moving down to DC to coach basketball, like no way. So I ended up picking up some classes. I taught biology to freshmen that created a psychology course for seniors, was the sophomore class dean. So really tried to utilize that experience to gain lots of, am I going to get into higher ed or do I want to get into athletic directing? Uh, and I, I got to coach the basketball team at a boarding school, which is like an orphanage. So that's amazing. Um, and you know, when I got asked to come back to Dartmouth, I thought, well, I can't coach basketball for a living, but I can, you can pay for my master's. So I've right. sort of really honestly fought this coaching thing for a little while and it's been well de- decorated now. But after my four years at Dartmouth, in the same week, literally, I turned 29. I was found out of the finalist for the amazing race. I defended my thesis, my, my graduate thesis, and I got called by the athletic director at Princeton about becoming their basketball coach. So I really, at that point, got to a, I had to make a, a serious decision about which way am I going? Am I going to go on Amazing Race? Am I going to coach basketball? You know, but I didn't have any other options. So those were my two options. What year was that? 2007. Okay. Okay, cool. So you went a couple of years at, at Episcopal and then back to Dartmouth to be the Back assistant. to Dartmouth to get my master's paid for. And I became, yeah. you know, their assistant there. And I have, a, uh, so I have a master's in writing, an mm-hmm. undergraduate in neuroscience, and I'm choosing between coaching or going on Amazing Race. 
Okay. So, so what, what, what was that decision? Was it pretty easy at that point to, to go? You know, to, my to brother and I were going to do it. You know, at that time you win a million bucks and you don't understand taxes and all that at that age. So you're thinking I'm going to have a million bucks, right? I'm going to split, split it with my brother. Um, but, um, you know, I went, I did what I went down to Princeton to interview and I thought, I don't really know if I even want this job. I was there for five minutes and I thought, not only do I want this job, but I need it. Right. And, uh, honestly, the rest is history. So it became a no brainer. Yeah, so you're 29 and you're the head coach at Princeton. I mean, pretty, pretty big deal. You don't find many head coaches, I guess, that age. What yeah. was that like becoming a head coach that early and, and leading a program in an Ivy League institution? Yeah, you know, it was. I was the second youngest head coach at the time in Division One. Um, I think it was what was great was is they had had didn't have a, rate, a great tradition, but they had a yeah. big name, right? Princeton mm-hmm. basketball is a big name, right? So I just kind of celebrated Princeton basketball and I kind of left out that women hadn't had their own tradition yet. Um, and no one was really tracking on it. Right. And so I think some of my coaching peers honestly thought that it was career suicide, because if you're not successful in our business, yeah. like most, you get fired. Right. And it's hard to re recycle yourself, mm-hmm. so which I said, good. I'm only 29. If I if I the only way to find out if you're going to be a good head coach is to do it. Right. And if, I, if I'm not good at it and over a four year period, then I'll be 33. Like I have plenty of time to, to, to create equity and something else professionally and find success. Um, and so I kind of went in low risk on that. I think other people saw the risk. I went in on it and saw, I'm still finding my journey. And, uh, it was, I dove right in and I think it's, um, it's what I want for my own children and all of my players. I want them to find their career that they're so passionate about that, that also it's their passion and ironically their skill set aligning. So I think this is the thing I would be best at. And I'm fortunate that I'm, I'm having an opportunity to do it. Yeah, that's a good life lesson. I mean, I'm 34 and you, you find people that just do you know, the job to make to make ends meet and really taking risks. I mean, if you really want to search after your passions and, and do something great or something you love, you know, you might have to take risks financially or, or with life or move or, or relationships. Big but time. to get where you want to really be, if that's where you see, I mean, that's what it takes, whether it be in business or, or, or sports or whatever. Yeah, especially now, right? This is a really dynamic work fa- workforce. The days are gone. Both of my parents, so my dad got his first job after college. He's an electrical engineer. And that was the job he had all the way to retirement. Like those mm-hmm. jobs just don't, my mom's in family practice. Those jobs just don't exist anymore, or at least not for me, that I'm going to take one job and I'm going to evolve hum- as my brain and body and, and soul are going to evolve and I'm going to stay in that job for 30 years. Right. And so you, again, your adaptability is really important and your yeah. willingness to, to, to try things on and to, and to just, I always say, you just can't suck. Like you just can't, you just have to work hard enough that like, what's the risk is not being successful. Well, that's just not an option. So it, there's actually no risk. I will be successful. There's no other option. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just, there's just regret if you didn't try for, for, oh, for sure. Life. Yeah. And, and yeah, like you said, like, this is a weird time. I mean, and with technology, there's so many opportunities for anyone. Like you know, I'm doing a podcast here. I could be doing with anyone in the world. There's just opportunities to grow for in whatever fields. Uh, awesome. All right. So you're at Princeton. I mean, yeah. you have great success there. Um, yeah. you go, so your winning percentage was, was 71% winning percentage, 71.1 winning percentage, uh, 81% in the Ivy league with eight NCAA tournament appearances over how many years was that? Well, over 12, but really eight of the last 10. So my first okay. year at, at Princeton, we were seven and 23. Okay. I hadn't lost that many games in probably yeah. four years in college, right? And then yeah. the second year, we were 14 and 14. And then the third year, we were 26 and two. So really, okay. that third year is important in our business because your first year is is culture regain. It's, it's coaching the team that you were handed. The second year, you've kind of started to shift all of that. And the third year, you have at least 
you know, hopefully two years of your own kids. Yeah. That's what I did. It. That's what that's what happened at Carolina. I mean, at uh, Princeton. Yeah, and that's important because we'll get into that with program building because I think that's so interesting because it applies mm-hmm. to all sports. You know, I cover you know, football and basketball, but it applies to yeah. men's basketball and fo- uh, applies yeah. to all sports. All right, seven Ivy League titles, thirty and zero in two thousand fifteen. Um, so great success, and you're trending up. What? Um, how often did you get interest to go other places? Because I remember kind of reading when you got hired at UNC that you definitely yeah. had interest, but you wanted to wait for the right opportunity. Yeah. Or getting more national interest from bigger programs and, and what decisions. Quickly. Yeah, quickly. Really? I think okay. the Princeton, yeah, I think the Princeton tagline is important, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, you know what you get in there. You're getting someone who um, has had to be around and, and had to associate with people that, you know, you can trust that can, that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm educated enough to make good decisions, you'd hope, right? And so I would yeah. say after my fourth year was when I was offered the USC job out in North Southern California. Okay. And then from there, it was just every year. I mean, really? I only went on a few campuses because I, I said no so quickly. Um, and then the last time I went on a campus and turned a job down, I was like, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going on another campus and turning a job down because you feel terrible about it. You feel terrible. You, I don't want to be tagged as the person who never, never is yeah. going to leave. I mean, all that. So I just ended up just like, in March, I would just turn my phone off and be like, oh, you know, um, and I also really honed my search. I said, I know, I, I didn't think Carolina, I knew they had a lot of alums. I also knew that, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to take a job because maybe I can get the Carolina job. If I can't get it from Princeton, yeah, I'll just stay at Princeton. It's no big okay. deal. I'm, I'm kicking everybody's ass. It's great. So uh, any other jobs that you turned down that you want to tell us? Just. Um, you know, I, I don't know how, if that makes people feel comfortable. You know, I think Vanderbilt was a job that I think people thought made sense. And, and it was a job that, you know, I really got deep into the process on and just felt like at the end, you, you that's, that's the one I say, you just leave someone at the altar and you feel terrible about it. Right. right. And so you just sort of say, I'm so sorry, you know, because by then people feel like by the time they've made you an offer, the relationship has been built. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was one that sort of tipped my hat to say, if ever I go on another campus, which made me feel like, when I came on Carolina's campus, I felt like this was going to happen. So what about Princeton? You know, what made you stay so long knowing there's going to be more money, bigger opportunities, bigger recruiting base at places like Vanderbilt, which is in the SEC that has a great academic profile and, and USC, mm-hmm. California. I mean, what made you turn those down and stay at Princeton for 12 years? You know, I think it, I hadn't yet, I hadn't, it didn't feel like time, right? So Princeton hadn't yet won an NCAA tournament mm-hmm. game, which the Ivy League has only won one in, 35 years. Um, I still, so I felt like there, it's an international brand, right. In a really desirable place to live. And um, I just felt like I was still being challenged. I felt mm-hmm. like I was still, there wasn't a new, I, there was going to be another chapter. It just, it, it didn't feel like the right time. It didn't feel like I needed to do it. It felt like I'm going to have, I'm going, as long as you continue to have success, you're going to be marketable. So it, is it North Carolina? Is it like there, there'll be other schools. Right. And so I just felt like I hadn't done enough. And I think once we went 30, and zero, once I then won an NCAA tournament game, now it became, what else can I do? Can I go to a sweet 16? This year's team that I had built was the best team that Princeton's had, I think. And I, they would have gone to the sweet 16 and I had to, I had to leave that. That was really hard. Do I take Carolina or do I go to the sweet 16 was sort of one of the, the hardest parts, but I just felt like it was time for a new chapter at a place like this was, was the perfect place. Yeah, you, you don't see that a lot in sports. You see people, you know, go after the money, especially in football and basketball, totally. leave after one, two years. So that loyalty yeah. is, is something you don't see as much in college athletics these days. Okay, right. so we're going to take a break right now and we're going to get back uh, into Carolina 
and Courtney's decision to go to Carolina and all about UNC. First one talks to you about Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They're our loyal podcast sponsors uh, right there on Franklin Street and online at GiantT-Shirt.com. Head over there, get your Carolina sweatshirts, your women's basketball T-Shirts, your hats, anything you need for UNC sports at Giant T-Shirt on Franklin Street. They're local. They help us. Uh, they help our podcast, and we really appreciate what they do for us. So help them out and help us out by going to Johnny T-Shirt and Johnny T-Shirt.com. And premium subscribers can use that 10% off discount code to get uh, 10% off all their purchases at Johnny T-Shirt and Johnny T-Shirt.com. All right, back. What did you think about that read there, Courtney? Uh, you're not. Hey, you've done that before. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Every week. All right. Try, I'm trying to mix in something different here and there. And, and so you got to keep it fresh. All right, so we're here with Courtney Banghart on the Inside Carolina podcast presented to you by Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get them. Okay, so UNC comes calling in 2019, so last spring. What was that? Uh, how was that initiated? I mean, I, I don't know how that works in terms of the background with athletic directors. Can you kind of go into that? And obviously, yeah. hired, so that'd be So cool. a very good friend of mine who's in the business um, – called me on Friday morning after Sylvia had been that, that sort of had changed. It happened late Thursday night. And he said, the athletic director, he said, Bubba Cunningham, the athletic director at North Carolina, just asked for your cell phone number. So be prepared. About an hour later, Bubba called. Um, and he said, you know, Bubba Cunningham here. Um, I have, a, I guess, you know why I'm calling. And I said, well, I know you have a change in women's basketball, but that's about all, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we just literally talked for about 45 minutes. I don't know. I hadn't known him at all. So we got to know each other. Um, and the next day I was on a plane to, uh, to Atlanta to meet with the committee. Uh, a couple of days later, I, he asked me to come to campus. Um, and a couple of days later, it was, I, I was here full time. Is that a hiring company. committee? Is that? Or yeah. So it's like a, it's basically his inner cabinet, right? So okay. I, I think like all decisions, you know, import, this is an important decision on this campus and I, I, I'm so grateful for that he made it, but, um, you know, ultimately it, it starts and stops with, with Bubba, just like my recruiting decisions start and stop with me. But the committee gives you, it makes sure that there's no blind spots. It makes sure that there's, you know, so, and then on campus, there was another, you know, giant committee. So he, he got a lot of insight from the people around him. Um, I'm sure that people he trusts and, and a lot of people that I spoke to, um, but ultimately, you know, he's got to make decisions that are right for the department and it starts and stops with him just like it does in recruiting. So it's very similar to how we operate in our business, in our, in our, on our sport. So the, the meeting in Atlanta was kind of like an interview, I guess. Yeah. That, yeah, very and, much. And then you're on campus the next day, you said, or, or the next two no, days? No, I'm like, that was Easter. So Easter was the next day. And so, you know, I was still coaching my, I mean, I wasn't still coaching, but I had like, we had our banquet Tuesday night. We had okay. our, I had skill workouts Monday and I was really developing that, that, that player of mine that got drafted at number five this year. So I, I had Great. some workouts with her that I wasn't willing to move. And then Tuesday we had our banquet. And then Wednesday I was like, Hey, I'm going to be down recruiting on, in North Carolina on Friday. Anyway, how about Thursday? So it ended up being a couple of days later, but um, you know, once oh. I, once you're at agreed to interview it, it sort of, it sort of means that you're, you're in, you're in that place really. Yeah. And so that was, the Thursday was like the visit to see you and see and check out all the facilities and things. Okay. Yeah. Well, Great. not so, facilities cause it, the, the staff was still working. So okay. I didn't get to, I just got to see campus. I got to, I got to meet Bubba and I got to do stuff over at the Friday center, but I got to drive. He drove me through Franklin street and stuff like that, but you come a little bit blind at this level. You don't get to, you don't get to, you don't get to open all the curtains. 
Gotcha. Okay. So what was it about UNC and, and them calling that then ultimately yeah. made? Yeah. Made I think decision? first and foremost, I mean, I think first and foremost, honestly, you're, you know, just like when you're recruiting, they have to, the, the recruits have to know that I have, that, that they have, they have my trust. I have their trust that, that they're playing with me as their head coach. Right. And so in that case, just like with, with UNC, you know, Bubba really was that first line of attack for me. Is he someone when I looked him in the eye that I could trust? Is he someone that I knew was going to be a good teammate? Is he someone that I, I wanted to give my, all my professional effort to, right? So we really built a real relationship that mattered to me, and I felt like I could trust him. Uh, that was the first thing. And then second of all, you, you're not going to go from an international brand of, North, of, of Princeton to a regional brand. And I'm not going to pick on any schools, but a lot of schools are regional. They like to say they're national. The schools are regional, right? Um, and so I wasn't I wasn't going to do that. So that already knocks off like 99% of the schools you're willing to go to. Right. And then also the academic background. I'm not, I mean, I've got, as we've talked about the edu- my educational background is going to be important in how I recruit and how I, the, the structure at which our program is based upon. So the academic pedigree of this school mattered to me. So you have to have a international brand, a high level of, um, of academic integrity. Also the fact that I, the reason I had to leave Princeton is I didn't think I could win a national championship there. Mm-hmm everyone's going to tell you you can win a national championship anywhere. It's just not true. It's just not right. And so North Carolina has proven it and they care about women's basketball. They just, they, that's an important thing on this campus. So that had to be the case. Otherwise why leave? Right. And then I'm kind of a snob about where I live. Like I don't want to live in Palo Alto. I don't want to be three time zones away from most of the people that I'm around and associate with. Right. And that you play your games at when everybody else is asleep. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm a snob at where I live and um, this area really is, is pretty special. So kind of it crossed off some of the most important boxes for me. Um, but that's not to say transitions aren't hard. And to be honest, transitions are so hard. A lot of people don't make them. And then on top of that, rebuilds are exhausting, right? Mm-hmm. You work hard to not to have your team in a place where you don't have to rebuild it. And then you take a new job and you got to rebuild. So it was not an easy year by any stretch. Um, but I knew that I didn't expect it to be easy when I took the job and, and it, it met me there at difficult. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and you, you mentioned national brand, and a lot of people say that about UNC, and a lot of it's because of of the men's basketball program, sure. um, the color, the Jordan, yeah. the connection with Jordan Brand. I see you're wearing a, a Jordan Brand thing. Um, yeah. You know what, what's that kind of like? Kind of obviously that was in the lore, and, and but yep. the national part of, of UNC, and the international, con- really. Yeah, sorry, international, and the connections to Jordan and, and the influence that men's basketball has. I mean, can you speak yeah. on that and that that influence on your decision and women's basketball? Very similar like Princeton, right? Princeton's basketball brand on the men's side is something where there's a rich tradition. People are totally into it. You can be in LA or in, in Paris and people care about Princeton men's basketball, right? That's how it is at North Carolina. So the, we have a grad transfer coming in here from um, Czechoslovakia. She was Illinois' leading scorer um, last year and for multiple years in the Big Ten. And for her, her family back in Czechoslovakia, they're like UNC or Tennessee, like North Carolina. Like they yeah. just... They know North Carolina, right? And so, you know, if you're going to really build something special, I don't want to be stuck to recruiting in a in a regional database in a regional database, right? And so, if your brand is 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 massive, that then you can recruit nationally. And so, the the men's basketball tradition, and I'm a basketball freak, so on my free time, I get to go watch the men's basketball team play. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's an advantage. You know, so yeah, I think just like Princeton, I think you can really promote that you love the sport you love the most you get to, it's played at the highest level here on the men's side. And you can go to those, you know, we always say you get men's tickets if you come to, if you come to Carolina. Yeah. The, just the emblem you're wearing, the Jordan brand, the color. I mean, it's, it's just perfect it's for cool. UNC and yeah. like, it helps yeah. out football. It helps out. Yeah. The color. It's great. I mean, 
it UNC does benefit a lot from just the things that, that the color, the emblem and Jordan. I mean, you see, you watch the um, ESPN documentary. I mean, it was just such good free marketing advertising for UNC. 100%. You can't buy the greatest player yeah. ever. So it's crazy. Yeah. So a little bit, you got to UNC and obviously it was kind of a messy divorce. Sylvia Hatchell, how did that kind of work? You, you becoming the head coach and kind of navigating that path of the transition. Yeah. You, it's perfect word for it. It was a messy divorce. And I think um, when you're in a messy divorce, everybody is affected and um, everybody's kind of meeting it with their own eyes. Right. So what I honestly did is I just, I'm pretty full. I'm very forward thinking in life, right? I just, what happened yesterday is just, it, it happened yesterday and that, that page has been turned. And so we utilize our experiences to, to guide us forward. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm very forward thinking. So I just didn't, I, I sort of, I immediately did what I would do if I wasn't a messy divorce and that was build trust. It was, but because of the messy divorce, it was two words, patience and persistence. So there were going to be things that I was going to be really patient about and there were going to be things I wasn't really persistent about. And, um, you know, there were, there was fractured relationships up and down, you know, through the, through our team, there were fractured relationships in the recruiting space in the state. There were fractured relationships in, um, in the alumni base. There were fractured relationships in our season ticket holders. I mean, there was just, it was sort of, you meet everywhere you go, you sort of meet people that have been fractured in some way by the divorce. And um, I just was authentic to patience and persistence and, and making sure that people got to know the real me and, and you'll, you'll want to jump on board when we start winning. And that's been proven to be the case. Did you keep anybody on staff in terms of, I know you, did, you brought in your own assistant coaches, but anybody in terms of strength and conditioning, training, is there anybody yeah, so the trainer on? and strength and conditioning coach and team doctor have, have remained and they're still with me. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, great. So your first year at UNC, I have the record here, at 16 and 14, started off 8-0. What were the major challenges that in coming to UNC first and, and kind of building it up in that first year at UNC? You know, I think our roster, I think that was a challenge for me. You know, the roster was also fractured. You know, um, there were, um, because of the academic scandal, perhaps, because of um, the, whatever, for whatever reason, the roster wasn't in a championship form. Um, and you win with talent at this level, right? And so we had we had those that were um, could certainly play at our level, um, and there there was a reason they were here. And then there were some that really couldn't, but they could help in other ways academically or with uh, you know with numbers and whatnot. So we had we ended up having the I mean our last game of the year we dressed seven players. The last five games of the year we dressed seven players. I mean we just we we just didn't have the depth and the and the talent perhaps. So that was hard because you it's hard to hold people accountable. Mm -hmm. the, the slimmer your roster becomes right with injuries and with whatnot. Um, and so, and then the talent gap is hard to coach through because, you know, again, you're holding, you're holding you to a certain standard and I'm holding myself to a different standard because that's, that's the highest you can go and I can go. Right. Um, so the roster was a challenge um, and we had to sort of work through that. Um, and also, you know, winning is winning is a byproduct of how you do things. Right. And, and the habits weren't in place that, we can't just worry about the scoreboard. It's the habits that get you consistent winning. So we had to really break down habits and, and, and effort and, and communication and, and loyalty in locker room and things that actually are contri contribute to winning programmatically, not episodically. And that, that, that takes time. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're talking about basketball habits, but other habits in terms of training and, and working and, and academics and everything to kind of rebuild that. Yeah. And I remember when Larry Fedora hired Gene Chizik for the football team. He was the defensive coordinator because the defense was really bad. They brought in Gene Chizik, who had won national championship at Auburn, and he had to rebuild this defense. So he 
I mean, he started everything on the bottom. He retaught everything, retaught tackling angles, you know, how you work, how you watch film. And he really yeah. had to go back and start from the beginning. Is that kind of what you had to do to kind of build, start building the foundation? Because obviously, you know, it's year one. You're, you're, building for, you're building for year four, year five. 100%. I cannot thank my staff enough. I think it was, it was endurance. Um, it was hard work. It was consistency. You know, but everything from how you value post-game recovery and post-practice recovery, mm-hmm. how you value, how you show up, how you value your academic performance, how you value. Absolutely. It was, I give a lot of credit to our kids. They just trusted me. Um, and I told them, you know, we, we got, interestingly, here's a, here's a fun fact, for example, we did a word cloud, you know, one of those word clouds where you say, you know, what's one word to describe this program. This has never happened to me before where we had, we had 16 players at that time. There was not one word that was, that was duplicated. And this is a yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like you'd think you're in the locker room and in basketball, it's, it's all season and all year long. So some of you guys have been here for three years together and not one, not, not two people had the same word to describe the program, the team. I was like, wow, so we're dealing totally with 16 yeah. right? And then we had goals, and the goals really kind of individual goals, they sort of went into two categories. One was people that wanted to be a part of a culture of, of, of teamwork, and they wanted to have relationships with their teammates, and one that was all about winning. And so I was like, great, those are the two, those are kind of the two themes that I keep pulling out of your, of your goals. I'm going to coach to both. And that's because that's what you all want. I can't pick. I'm only going to care about what Ross wants. I got to care about the team. It's my job, right? Mm-hmm. And so your, your goals are in those two categories. So everything I do is going to be based on those two categories. And I just kept going back to it, you know. Um, and yeah, so it was a complete, you know, how to ball handle. I mean, we had to do skill work. We had to like literally break down, change of speed and just skill work. Um, so, you know, yeah, it was a first, the first year was almost like I was going back to coaching in middle school, just in terms of how I was going to care, what I was going to care about, what I was going to emphasize and what we were going to, how we were going to build to get better. And, and briefly here, what kind of systems do you run? I mean, I don't want to get too in the weeds here with, with actual basketball yeah. stock, but what's your offensive system and what's your defensive system and approach, I guess? Yeah, I think offensively start with that. Um, you know, you always play to the, to the strength of your best players. And okay. so there really isn't necessarily, this is what we do. Because every year in collegiate athletics, your team changes dramatically, right? Um, and so if Cole Anthony is your best player, you're going to run a lot of high ball screen. You're going to want to run a space out, et cetera. If Garrison if Garrison's your best player, then you're going to run a lot of pinch post and mid post stuff. So it, it, it really can change. I think that's the beauty of having my, my background be from Princeton in that at Princeton, because of all the recruiting handcuffs academically, non-scholarship, mm-hmm. et cetera, you just got to get the best players you can. And then it's like every year you're like, all right, is it a – is it a four out one in? Is it a five out? Is it a triangle with a low post presence? I've done all of it. Right. And so I think offensively, that's where my brain goes into how can I, how can I get our, our best players in the, the, to play to their strengths? Right. And then defensively, you're only as good as your defense. And we were terrible defensively this year. So I've been in the top 10 defensively every year. Mm-hmm. And then we come here and it's like, whoa, so we just didn't buy into winning. If you don't defend, you don't, you don't care about winning. It's just a fact, right? And so we had to really – we'll be better. We'll be better moving forward defensively with that buy-in. How is the women's game uh, evolving? You know, men's, men's basketball now is, you know, it's, it's very – especially the NBA, you know, four, four guards, four wings, and one big. Yeah. And it's very fast and a little bit smaller yeah. and everybody can shoot. How is the women's game going? Same. You know, I think it's the versatility is critical. These kids are way more athletic than they were when I played and they're bigger. Right. And so now like the kid who just got drafted fifth overall from Princeton, you know, she's six, five and she's, you know, she's really a wing. Right. And so yeah. the size, the athleticism. And so it's less, at least how I coach it, it's less control. It's more walking that line between freedom and control. 
right? So right. it's not pass here, go here, look here, go there. It's, it's understanding how to play through ball screen stuff and through spacing, through 1v1 attack. So in a lot of ways, it's actually, it's, it's merging like the men because men and women are training together now in yeah. the middle school and high school levels. So it's, it's, it's the better you are with the basketball. Here's a really simple, Ross. Here's the deal. Basketball, you cannot move in our sport unless you dribble. Mm-hmm. Amazing to me how many high school players don't work on ball handling. You can't even move in our sport unless you can dribble. The better you are with basketball, the better you're going to be moving in our sport. So we really spend a lot of time on just skill work so that we can be faster in basketball, not faster on the track, you yeah. know? Um, and so that, that has had to, that's been a complete rebuild here. Interesting stuff. Awesome. So you talked about roster building and this gets to recruiting. And I, I heard a quote from your video saying, pull it up here with, with uncut. I was watching that video earlier today. Yeah. Some prep. And you said, pull up multiple screens here. You said those that recruit, there, there are those that recruit and those that get fired. Yeah. And you look for competitiveness and love for the game with recruits and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, I've been following your recruiting for the 2021 class. I know you can't speak about these players, but you have yeah. three five-star uh, women's recruits. So what is your approach to recruiting? What's your approach to evaluation? And, and obviously, how has that changed at UNC? And, and yeah, yeah. open floor there. That's probably the thing that's been the most consistent, uh, Princeton and, and Carolina is recruiting. You know, you recruit the best players and best people, 100%, right? And if you make mistakes in recruiting, you will get fired. That's just a thing, right? And so that's what gets all of my attention. You know, who are the people and who are the competitors bringing in? And, you know, you don't want any frauds. And frauds are people that like to play but not practice. Frauds are people that like to play offense and not defense. You know, frauds are people that think they're good enough already. Um, and so – you know, we, we signed a top 10 nationally ranked class in the 20s. Mm-hmm. That was after only being on the job five months. We've got three top 50 players. Um, Five-star players are top 50 in the country. So we've signed three top uh, 50 players in the country already in 21s. Um, so I think what happens in, rec- in recruiting is you watch like anything. And what, what separates 50 from or 33 from 70 is whatever your eyes are, are seeing. And so we really want to piece together. I don't want to stack the same talent. I want to piece together talent. And so I really have to watch critically because no one's perfect. And so you might be a little bit better with basketball, but I'm a little bit better with my dribble attack. So you're more, you can get into spaces. I can attack better or, or I can shoot it a little bit better, but you can elevate better. I want you both because you're both different. Right. Um, and so you know, we, we spend a lot of time in recruiting, we spend a lot of time talking to recruits. Do they, do they watch the game? If you ask them who their favorite player is and they don't have one in the WNBA, they don't watch the game. How much they really like the game if they'd rather play Fortnite than watch a WNBA playoff game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you just, you get to know them a lot at our level. Um, but yeah, it's the most important thing we do. And I really enjoy doing it um, because of how important it is. Because these are kids, I'll be at their wedding someday. So you, you want to yeah. go to a wedding of kids you like. So do you obviously go and watch some of their games as well, but I mean, I, I don't know anything about women's basketball recruiting. Is there a lot of tape out there? Is a lot of film? I, I imagine in some sports, it's hard to see the player if you're not in person. How yeah. does that work in women's basketball? Because in football and, and men's basketball, it's, it's everything there. I think sometimes I, I'm sure people would look at Roy and I's recruiting budget or how much we spend on recruiting and sort of say, wow, what's going on there? But it's exactly to your point. Film is not helpful because yeah. you, don't, you, can't, you cannot get size and speed on film and the nuances of mm-hmm. the first dribble versus a second dribble, right? How low you're getting, how you're playing in tight spaces, you know, how quick, you're, how quick your release is, you know, all that stuff. And so, you know, we might have to see a kid seven times. We might have to go into their home twice. Like you just, to get to know these kids and know what separates good to great, you have to really dice it out. So 
Um, I, I can assure you that if, if, if Coach Williams and I could learn how to recruit by sitting on our couch, we would do it, you know, but, but so we're not, it's not that we're being superfluous. It's what we're being, we're being, it's critically important. It's the number, it's the lifeblood of our program. So yes, our recruiting budgets, I don't exactly know what the number is, but it's high. Um, and our time span, I spent a hundred and we have 130 days this year that we're allowed to recruit. We will use every single one of them. You know, it's a lot, but it's important. And that's what I'm paid to do is to recruit. And I remember seeing, I follow you on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, and you're very good social media presence, I must say. Thank you. Uh, you I mean, I see you in helicopters and flying and stuff. I mean, is that how it works? I mean, private jet? You do whatever you got to do. So in this case, this year, particular team, I had to use a private plane a bunch because I, I wasn't willing to mispractice. Yeah. And in part because we were really splitting hairs on what I was going to allow and what I was going to not allow. And it was unfair to have a first, you know, a first year staff deal with that because we still had some eye contact and, and effort issues that we dealt with all year. Right. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't going to miss practice. So if we practice at one thirty and we're done by three thirty that day and there's a game in, in, in New York at six, the only way I can make it is if I take the plane. Right. And so, you know, we had to stay within our budget so we would be smart about what we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can get, if I have a day off, I'm flying to Florida commercial for sure. You know, but it just, or if it's a day off, I'm driving to Atlanta for sure. Right. But it just okay. depends on what else was happening, um, et cetera. So, you know, the, or if I want to see, you only get 112 days last year. So if you're going to see two kids in the same day, it only counts as one day. So if you can see four kids on one Saturday and counts as one day, that, that, that multiplies your effectiveness as a recruiter. Right. So I'll use the plane because I can get to four places and see four kids and, but only count as one day. Right. So there's all those things I think that are important for people to know, because I'm sure with the state school, they publish things and you're just like, God, oh, Courtney and Roy are just <laughs> yeah. like in Tahiti. It's like, no, this isn't awesome how we're doing it, but it's important. So, I mean, I don't know how this works in men's basketball. Do you just, do you go to RDU or do you go to the Chapel Hill airport and then RDU? Okay. I think Chapel Hill yep. airport's closed, but, and then yeah. there's just a pilot that they've hired for the day essentially. Well, there's a university, there's, there's the university medical planes that they use. And so Roy Mack and I and other coaches, and again, the problem is it's super expensive. So it's yeah. got to fit in your budget. And so that might mean that I can't go to, you know, I can't do something else. Right. Yeah. And those are the decisions that we're paid to make. And so it's not by no means, is it like a cash spending account where you're like, whatever, by no means, you know, it's just, it's just that if it helps you with your number of days, if it gives you, if it allows you to also run a practice, if, then those are things that, that's the cost of doing great business, right? Um, but I, I flew commercial way more than I took the private plane, way. <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah. And I drove five hours each way, way more than I took the private plane, way. But hey, well, whatever it takes to win, that's my philosophy. Um, <laughs> awesome, yeah. I think I mean I, I covered recruiting for football for like three or four years, and Huge. I mean it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting world, and so learning more about it is, is always cool. I think fans yeah. appreciate that too. I mean this pri private plane stuff is just uh, I don't yeah, know anything I about it. Yeah, I think, and I think that's the sex appeal of it, right? And people think, gosh, that's really good. It's like, no, you forget that, like, that you're doing that because of efficiency at times, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're bringing four coaches because if you land in D.C., they can each rent a car right there and we can all recruit. Gotcha. You know, so in part, you're, it, it's also cost-effective and time-effective, right? But the amount of time we spent recruiting, I was on a, a Zoom call with an Australian last night Bubba had called about something at like 8.15. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm on this Zoom call. I'll call you when I get off. And at 10 o'clock, I was like, hey, are you still up? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're Zooming it or you're in real life. I would be in Australia, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not – recruiting is not for the faint of heart. I will not be recruiting into my 70s. That's for sure. It's almost like you need a supply chain management guy to, or a woman to – 
to handle all the recruiting logistics and stuff because oh, to figure sure. out the most efficient way to get places. For okay, sure. so program building uh, for the for the women's team. What does that take? What's your plan? I know I know goals are huge for you. Um, mm-hmm. Can you kind of get into you know your path for UNC uh, women's basketball mm-hmm. and how you're going to build this program to to national championship status and how that yeah, works. I mean- with people, right? So I hired a really great staff. I mean, if you ask anybody in the business, they will say, holy moly, you nailed it. I mean, I got a great staff. So you, you hire staff, you pick your people. So staffing and recruiting, that's, that's, you do that well, you're fine. You don't, you're, 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 you're fired. Um, so that's important. I think too, it's, you have to make one good decision at a time, right? This is a massive job. It's a massive expectation. It's, it's lots of moving parts. You're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds when they're here and you're dealing with 14 to 18 year olds when they're not. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot into that. Right. Um, and so I just kind of, my mantra is just make one good decision at a time. Right. And, uh, and make sure that I'm surrounded by really good people. And also I don't do awkward. So in other words, you know, you keep players at a place where if you feel like things are getting awkward between you and a player or they're feeling awkward, like you just bring them closer and you work through it. So I think um, high level communication um, is something I really thrive in. I think I'm, I'm very able to, to communicate with my head and my heart um, through good and bad. Um, and then, you know, I think standards, like you, you can't, you have to decide what you care about and you got to be persistent on those things. And you have to be patient on other things. Like you just, we're not going to be perfect, you know? And so where are you willing to be a little bit gray and where is it black and white? And like how we treat one another is a black and white. Like, we have no, I have no patience for bad teammates. I just have none. You know, if you're late, that means your, your time's more important. If you don't give eye contact to your teammates or coaches, it means you don't care. If you don't communicate, it means it's not, you're selfish. Like, no, you know, I, I can be very black and white about that. Right. But you might be gray about, you know, a, a, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of all the different things we have to be gray about, you know, um, I'm so in recruiting right now, it's hard to kind of work through that, but you know, there's a lot of things day to day that, you know, you might wish that they, 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 they ran harder in practice, but unless you have biofeedback, you can't determine that. Right. And so instead that's just a process. Work is a learned skill. Not everybody's born with it. So teaching people how to get to work harder, you have to be grayer about, because I might have easier time teaching you to work hard than I do my, than I do this person because it's a learned skill. Right. And so um, yeah, I think you just build being really sure on what your core foundation foundation is going to be. You don't take shortcuts which in this business is hard because this is not a patient business, you know? And so there's people that are going to expect us to win more games this year than we did last year. I'm probably going to start three freshmen. So be patient with me. You know, we're, we're building it the right way because to get a national championship, they don't want me to win one and then be terrible. This place wants to be me to basically bring them back. And so there's going to take time to build that foundation. Yeah. And we'll get into the goals and also um, the roster, but yeah, the, what you said about, you know, communication, I think is so critical and tough conversations are, are, are a challenge for a lot of people and mm-hmm. you know, that honesty and being honest and, and being clear about expectations and then having those tough talks I think is a core part of being a, being a leader so that was that was very interesting to hear there um anything else on leadership I mean you have like a, don't you have a degree in almost leadership know, or I something studied it. yeah I studied it in, in graduate school um Ooh. yeah I mean I think it's just leadership is how much do you care truly I'll say you care show it right yeah. and if you asked our, any of our players they would tell you how much I care about them mm-hmm. here at Carolina, especially right. And, and of course at Princeton um, and communication. I mean, if you, if you care about someone, you tell them the truth and the truth is not always easy to hear. And my players know that 
if you want to come in and talk about playing time, it's no problem. I can pull, I'll pull up all the practice clips. I'll pull up all the stuff I've been, you know, I can pull up our shot chart. I can, your individual efficiencies, you know, et cetera. You know, you're, I'm going to be really clear with you because you deserve it. Right. If I think you're, you know, I, I tell this story that there was a kid at Princeton that one time I pulled her aside and practice. They were, they were jogging off to water and I said, come here a sec. And I said, are you giving me your best today? And she kind of looked at me and hesitated for a second. And I said, I'll always give you mine. You know, and so it just, it doesn't always have to be berating. It just has to be, if I didn't say that in that moment, the whole practice would have been half-ass for her, right? And so you just have to meet the hard, the hard, the hard conversations and the hard decisions head on in this business. And that's exhausting and important. Great. And we're going to get to the final part of the interview next. We're going to take a quick ad break. We're back with Courtney Banghart to kind of close out this interview. She's been so gracious with our time. It's been really interesting for me and we've dove into a lot of different topics that I think can engage more fans in women's basketball and I think can help people in their line of work and business and how they approach life and things like that. So I hope everybody's getting a lot out of this. Okay, so let's go quickly into your roster for next year, what you yeah. expect. I, mean, I don't, Honestly, I don't want to lie to you. I, I don't really know much about your roster, no so problem. I'd love to hear yeah. about it and Happy to do it. what you expect for next year. Yeah. So we had to, you know, I only brought, now I've got uh, what three, uh, I think it's three total that were coached by coach Hatchell. That's it. Three total from in year two that, you know, so we've got a, we had a master roster changeover um, from the senior class. We've got Janelle, who's uh, uh, has been a very consistently celebrated uh, um, part of our program and in the league, you know, she's been an all ACC performer now multiple times. Um, so she's uh, inside, you've got her, and then you've got Leah, the shooter, local kid, North Carolina shooter, kind of more of a specialist there. And then we brought in a grad transfer from, um, from Illinois, who, mm -hmm. from Czechoslovakia, who has a, a great amount of experience. So those are the seniors. You've got the junior and Jalen Murray, who's a redshirt junior. She was going to be a senior, um, but now she's gained an additional year because of an ACL injury. She missed all of the last year. She's your hype man. You know, she's your, she's your heart there. So you got those guys. It's all you have for upperclassmen, four total in, in what is the best conference in the country for basketball. So that, that presents some challenges, right? And then your sophomores, you've got, Maluchis Inge, uh, Dikembe Mutombo's niece, who um, was all ACC uh, rookie team, led the ACC in offensive rebounding, and was all academic, Ivy, all academic ACC. So uh, she's just a just a, a huge piece. What we're bringing back as a sophomore. And she was your on. was she your recruit? I recruited her, Prince, and she said no. She was Sylvia's recruit as a and then she decommitted when Sylvia left. I re-recruited her. Okay, so, gotcha. So the she, sophomores are kind of the ones you brought in, I guess. Kind well, of, the sophomore, the ones I inherited. Um, all, there's only two of them remaining. Okay. Um, and so her, Malou, and then Kennedy Tucker, who's a who's a, a point guard from Arkansas, um, who saw a lot of time early in the year and kind of deteriorated a little bit as the season went on. But we expect to have a, a better sophomore year. And then I brought in a transfer from Michigan. Her, her name's Ariel Young. Her dad is a um, the assistant, top assistant at Florida State men's hoops. Really awesome family. Mom is a was a pro, uh, played at Auburn, et cetera. So she isn't isn't able to play games for us until January, which is okay. a total bummer. But she's going to be great. So you've got kind of those three total sophomores, and then you've got five freshmen. Um, you got the headline of the class, Deja Kelly, who top ten player nationally, scored over three thousand points, six A player of the year in Texas, state champion. Um, Jordan Brandon, all American, all American, McDonald's all American. She's kind of the Cole Anthony of, of, um, on the women's side. Um, so she's from uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, and then you've got, um, Alyssa Utsby, a kid from six uh, one or so from, um, Minnesota, uh, really great athlete, three sport athlete, um, you know, Northwestern Stanford, those other places. So she's going to be really great on the wing as well. And then we've got, uh, Ali Zalaya from Arizona, who is a, um, six, four, really long offensively skilled kid um, you know, recruiting her a bit at Princeton, a high level kid. And then two North Carolina kids, Anya Poole from Southeast Raleigh, 
who um, has a really awesome combination of brute and finesse that we expect to really help us inside. And then Kennedy Todd Williams, who really reminds me of Scottie Pippen, you know, um, so in terms of she's spidery and she's long and she's, she can do a lot of different things. Um, so all five of them are freshmen. So we've got five freshmen, three sophomores, one of which is a transfer that's not available until mid-year, uh, only one junior and, and, and uh, three seniors. So very young roster, um, have a good balance of, of positional uh, depth, which we didn't have last year. Um, we have uh, more talent than we had last year, for sure, top to bottom, um, but less experience. So there'll be some bumps in the road, but a great foundation point as we build forward. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, a lot of freshmen. So building towards the next year when you have yeah. three, five stars coming in, are you done with this class, the 2021? Are you? No, nope. We're going to get one more, um, one more point guard. Um, and we just kind of love where we are with, with, with options there. Um, so it'll be another top 10 ranked class. I mean, this is, we got three, five stars in the 20, you know, in the, in the 20 class as well. So again, I think experience is important. Experience is important professionally. Experience is important um, athletically. Um, but it, as I always say, it's like a credit card, right? You don't, you can't get one until someone gives you a chance. So mm -hmm. uh, we're giving them a chance early to help us and, and they'll be better for it in the long run. Okay. Two more areas before we wrap this up. Uh, okay. I noticed when you got hired, you, you hung out with, uh, Mac Brown a lot and Anson Durant and, and a lot of the coaches who've been successful at UNC. Can you kind of yeah. go into your relationships with some of the, you know, I guess more veteran coaches at UNC yeah. and how they've helped you kind of get into this Carolina culture and whatnot? Yeah, well, I mean, some of the more famous ones you've got, um, you know, Mac Brown is is just a, we talk at least weekly, you know, I think he kind of looks at it like we came in together. I know his main, uh, one of his main avenues of getting back into coaching is to mentor younger coaches. And when I say he's been a, he hasn't just helped me along, he's pulled me along. Um, he's been my brain, he's been my heart, he's been, he's just helped in, in recruiting. I wouldn't miss a football game for all the tea in China now because of him. Um, you know, I just think he is just, he's just, He's become a very, very, very special friend for me, which has been really helpful. Um, and I, I, he can see me at my worst. I can reach out to him at 10 o'clock at night, very frustrated. And he is always responds. Him and Sally have been great. Um, and then Roy actually called yesterday because we were joking. He asked me about a kid that we were recruiting and how that went that he helped us with. And then he, we were talking about our COVID test. So he called twice yesterday. Um, Roy, same thing. I think he really wants women's basketball to be good. Mm -hmm. um, he's hilarious. He calls me calls me kid um and I call him coach that's about right right uh yeah. but um same thing you know even when I'm tired and I, I don't feel like being back out of the house I won't miss a men's game either uh for as long as I can because of supporting what he does and what his staff does they've just been great for us and to us um Anton Dorrance you know him and Jenny Levy from lacrosse and I are in a book club now together but um Anson nice. same thing I mean he's just been I've, I interviewed him for my graduate thesis so I've known him a very long time okay. um and he's sort of professorial and how he operates. And so am I. So we sort of have, we're similarly aligned professionally, which has been fun. Um, you know, I'm having dinner with Jenny on Friday um, and her husband and um, women's lacrosse. You know, really the, the, the coaches here have really taken me under their win. They want women's basketball to be good. Um, and I think they believe in how I'm doing it. Um, you know, I, I, I work out uh, in the same gym that um, Karen Shelton works out in. I'm not quite as fit as her. I'll just be clear on that. But, um, you know, she and Roy coming in Mac all being back in our gym, you know, Karen hadn't gone to a women's basketball game in 30 years, you know, and having her back and, and being a part of our program. I have a great picture of her and Roy that I came to our game and I actually sent it to both of them. So I put it in a frame for them so they could have it in their office. So yeah, the Carolina community is real. I remember when I first got the job, they were giving me buzz lines, like, make sure you say Carolina family, make sure you say, and <laughs> yeah, I was like, whatever, I'll say whatever. And now funny. like, it's real and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, women's sports in Carolina are spectacular with uh, <laughs> with women's soccer and then field hockey and lacrosse are, are like building That's dynasties. Uh, it's totally. crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Awesomeness. That's awesome. Okay. This is the, the fun part here. A uh, couple, couple quick fire questions here to kind of get a little personality here to our listeners. Uh, music. What's your favorite band? Favorite, uh, favorite type of music? I love um, reggae as a, okay. band, as a certain type of music. Um, and favorite brand, I sort of, you know, the best concert I ever went to was listening to OAR in, uh, at Red Rocks in, uh, out in Colorado. Nice. Crazy game of poker. You bet. You bet. I'm actually low-key, huge OAR fan back Good. when I was in high school and college. Don't be low-key. I know. That's the thing. It's like saying you like the samples, right? But um, yeah. when you go see, you know, I went to Zach Brown in Wrigley Field, and that was a blast too. So yeah. you know, I just like music. OAR. It's such a throwback. It's so funny. Totally. Um, okay. Any hobbies? What are your interests outside of basketball? I mean, if you... I mean, Everything. You've... Yeah. I love to sail, which sounds really white collar, but I love to sail. <laughs> I, I love to uh, water ski. I, I love being on the water, you know? Okay. Um, so I grew up on a lake. And so, yeah, that, that part's been really fun. And then um, I like to read, which is kind of a throwback to my academic nerdiness, but I love to read. I love to exercise, you know? Yeah. Lots of different things. I like to awesome. travel. I mean, I really love to travel. Whenever I retire, I'm going to be... I might even sell, I might not be one of those that sells everything and just spend six months or three months in different places all throughout the world. Where are some of the best places you've been? Oh gosh, everywhere. I mean, I love Cinque Terre, Italy. I love, um, I love uh, the islands, the BBIs, you know, Palm Island, et cetera. I love all those places. Um, you know, um, I love our own country. I mean, I love Hawaii and Alaska. I hitchhiked through Alaska for three weeks and when I was about 21. So, you know, I just, I just love to travel. I love Glacier. I love Chicago. I mean, everywhere. I, I, I love to travel. Awesome. Uh, favorite restaurant in Chapel Hill? Oh, you guys have me working too much. Um, so we take recruits to like, obviously, Top of the Hill, City Kitchen, 411. But um, honestly, I ha- I'm so terrible at anything Chapel Hill because I, for the last year, I literally all I've done is recruit. So. <laughs> I remember uh, airport. I say RDU airport is my favorite meal. The Bojangles in the airport. Uh, I remember Larry Fedora on a podcast, like had no idea where stuff was in Chapel. Chapel No, I mean, it's crazy. I literally like still need a map. If I had to go to the grocery store, not, and this isn't a not joking. If I had to go to the grocery store, I know I get on 54, but to what do I go under the overpass or, you know, I, I'd I'd probably still need my map. Yeah. I'm just year two. These are all year two. I hear you. Um, all right. What do you like most about Chapel Hill? Obviously you said you like where you live and you need to, you know, that's important. Yeah. What, what do you like most about this community? I live about two miles from campus. I love that it's, a, um, that I can be around high, high level, highest level athletics. My kids can grow up in that environment, mm-hmm. but yet, um, I, I, I live in a town, you know, so, but now, but yet I can go two hours to the beach two three hours to the mountains. And also you have the arts and, and foodie place as well. Like, you know, so I love that I'm from New Hampshire where you like the cities are irrelevant and the, the foodie scene is irrelevant and there's not a lot of arts and um, there's no, like, I just love that you're, you're, I feel like I have, I can do anything from here in a very, in, in a day. What stood out about, you know, Southern culture? I mean, has that been people? Strange? So you go to, I went to the grocery store. The first, so I lived at the residence inn or something like that for three months. It was yeah. terrible. When I first moved here, just living in a hotel <laughs> is not as sexy as it sounds, but anyway, the, um, and you go to the grocery store, right? And you're like picking out your broccoli and maybe you have a, a call. So you're on your headphones or maybe you're trying to decide between organic or not. And in New Jersey, people are like reaching around you or like sighing because you're taking too long. And here, you don't even realize you're holding people up. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and then also like no one honks their horn at you. And so just the people are, the pace is better. People are so genuinely nice here. And I, I think it's made me nicer and I'm, I'm grateful for that. All right. That about does it for us. That was awesome. Courtney, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think, like I said, I think, I think fans who have, have not invested in, in women's basketball will, will love this to get a chance to know you and kind of 
get a chance to know the trajectory of, of women's basketball and what you're building. So we really yeah, appreciate your on, time. Come on out. That's what makes football games fun is people are there in the stands. So um, our product is worth it. So come on out. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much. All this right. Has been the, this has been the Inside Carolina Podcast presented to you by Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.